make of a movie character with a stutter. Got it? Okay, what's this character like? Are they a hero? What role do they play in the story? Hold on to that for a minute. Today we're taking a look at the 2010 Best Picture winner, The King's Speech. It's a slow-moving British drama about King George VI, who must lead the nation in the midst of royal turnover and a world war breaking out. But there's one problem. King George speaks with a stammer, and with the advent of radio, this becomes a real problem for him. Stuttering is such an overlooked and underestimated problem in film. It's usually not taken very seriously in film, and most of the portrayals out there are not exactly sympathetic. Think of your movie character from earlier. They're likely either a sideline character or a villain. In film, people who stutter rarely get to be the heroes. There is really a stigma attached to this condition, and portrayals in film aren't helping. Thankfully, The King's Speech is a positive and very sympathetic portrayal of the very real problems associated with stuttering. Like I said, this isn't exactly a gripping thriller, but it takes great care to really show us a hard look at this condition and its treatment, and that's a rarity in the film world. In this episode, Maria and I talk about where stuttering comes from, how it's treated, and one famous person's struggle to overcome his stutter and become a leader. We also talk about the shame of showing weakness among leaders and how something like a stutter can affect perceptions of that person. And if you're wondering about other portrayals of stuttering in film, we play a game that goes over some of the more prominent examples and examines whether these are positive or negative portrayals. So no jokes at the end of the intro here, but we hope you enjoy this episode of Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. Welcome to Peculiar Picture Show. I am one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo. And I'm your other host. I am Brandon Gregory. And today we are looking at The King's Speech, um, which was, I, I think, the Best Picture winner for 2010. Um, but Something like, like this, that. Yeah, this, this won like four Oscars. Won, won Best Picture, lot. Best Original Screenplay, Best Directing, and Best Actor. And it was nominated for like eight more Oscars. Um. Yeah, I had to look up like the competition because I was like, wow, mm-hmm. like, and the competition was amazing too. Like, I don't know right. if you looked it up. So, it like, this uh, beat up uh, Black Swan for yes. best picture 127 <laughs> hours, The Fighter, uh-huh. which I've never seen, Inception, The Kids yeah. Are All Right, which I really like that movie. Uh, I've never seen that. Yeah. Uh, that one's a good one. The Social Network, Toy Story 3, which may have been the first, like, animated i don't know if that was mm. anyway yeah. um I, I didn't do any research on that true grit and winter's bone which i've seen a lot of those um and those yeah, some of them are good, are good. Yeah, yeah some of them are really good so this one beat and it's like a movie about a king's speech beat those movies mm. it seems kind of funny right <laughs> so was this your first time seeing this no no this was definitely at least my second time if not maybe i've seen a little bit more this was mm-hmm. around the time so 2010 is around the time when i was in grad school and i oh, was okay. dating the guy who was the film guy and so we watched like almost all of the nominees when they came out i was doing a lot of movie watching mm-hmm. um definitely didn't okay. watch all of them though yeah but like definitely like yeah. okay like it's the um academy awards let's like try to watch what we can and stuff and so i have seen a lot of them what about you was this your 
first, it was the second time. Second time. Um, <laughs> and I will admit, my first time through, I was not overly impressed with this movie mm-hmm. um, because, I mean, from a technical standpoint, it's flawless, um, but it right. just didn't hold my attention. Right. Um, As I said, so, like it's a movie about um, a king's speech. <laughs> right. And Ooh. so it's you know even you know my, I watched this with my wife Janelle because she loves this movie and she's like it's just amazing they made a whole movie about this topic right. and I was yeah. like that that's actually a really good point because how many movies are there about stuttering you know mm-hmm. um, let yeah. alone positive portrayals so um, yeah it's this I, I think like I said from a technical standpoint it's flawless um, it did a lot of things right and like honestly it's a topic you don't see a lot in film and so I, I think I liked it more the second time through because I was yes. kind of looking at it empathizing with the main character rather than just demanding to be entertained um, and <laughs> I'm not trying to say that like there's this higher level of art that if you don't like this film you know you're not paying enough attention but it's like I, I think I enjoyed it a little more the second time through okay. so yeah Fine. Well, I'm glad so, we could do that for you. Yes. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's, I'm enlightening myself on this podcast. Right. I mean, and this is why we chose, this is why it's on the list is because of the best picture. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't choose it. You didn't choose it. So yeah, the podcast forced it upon you. <laughs> it's forced you to like it. So, and, you know, there are worse best picture winners on the list. Oh, yes, there certainly <laughs> like, is. I don't know. How about Shakespeare in Love? Oh, Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> yes. Which I actually, I have a connection between this and Shakespeare in Love. We'll get into Ooh. In just a bit here. Yes. Okay. Wait, do I? Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm checking my notes. I may not. <laughs> you may so. have lied. Okay. Well, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, yeah, that that was my initial impressions. And it's I mean, this like it like being nominated for 12 Oscars and winning four of them is a pretty big achievement. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think maybe the second winner was like, I want to say Inception may have won a lot. I don't know. I didn't think Inception. I'm, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this beat Inception for best screenplay. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's um. it. You know, it's a good entry. So, shit, 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 yes, shit. Defecation flows trippingly from the tongue. Because I'm angry. Do you know the F word? Fornication. Oh, Bertie. Fuck. 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 Fucking fuck. Fuck. So, Maria, uh, would you like to play a game? I do, Brandon. I want to play a game. All right. So we are going to look at portrayals of stuttering in film because we have just talked about that. Right. Um, And so I'm going to say a film and then you guess whether it was positive or negative in his portrayal of stuttering. Oh, do I get more than the title? Like, can I get a year or is that going to give it away? (laughs) Yeah, I get the, the title in the year. I'll give the title in the year. How's that? Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, so first is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone from 2001. I would say that's negative because I feel like the bad guy has a stutter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So if, mm-hmm. 
I was That's right. exactly right. Yep. <laughs> so Professor Quirrell faked a stutter to convince people that he was incompetent. And so I, I would say it's a pretty negative portrayal. Yes, very much. <laughs> All right. So next on the list is A Fish Called Wanda. 1988. Oh, man, I feel like I saw this like when it came out in 1988 or 1989 <laughs> when I was like nine. It's really good. Like, yeah. You should and, watch it, yeah. Yeah, it was on HBO, but I don't remember anything. But I remember okay. it being like a big deal. So I have no idea. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to randomly say positive because I don't know. Okay, I think it actually is positive ah. because there is a character with like a pretty, it's a pretty like significant stutter um and you could see like the negative things he has to put up with because kevin klein's character like picks on him mercilessly and then one of the other characters really like sees through that and it's a you know positive thing for him but it's like the character himself is um it actually really accurately portrays the the struggle of Mm -hmm. a stutter and also it builds sympathy for that character so i would say it's a positive portrayal uh, michael palin's uh michael palin played the character with the stutter his father had a bad stutter and hmm. michael palin himself sponsors the michael palin center for stammering children in london oh not like a not related to sarah palin huh i hope not <laughs> i haven't checked that okay next on the list is lady in the water from our favorite director m night Shyamalan. oh okay bad negative <laughs> Actually, a positive. Oh, wow. Um, I was surprised. Surprise, yeah, I was yeah. surprised. <laughs> I was like, well, anything related to something like yeah, that. Yeah, because <laughs> after the job he did on... Yes, yes. <laughs> um, the... Split. On, split, yeah. So uh, the main character speaks with a relatively severe stutter. It's not like the worst in the world, but in the film world for a main character, it's pretty bad. Um, and this film actually portrays that in a pretty sympathetic light. Hmm. Um, and so it's, it's I think, one of the first films that puts a major spotlight on someone with a stutter. It wasn't just like a running joke. So Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Next on the list, we have Primal Fear from 1996. I've never seen that one. I haven't either. Uh, I'm just going to guess um, negative. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> and so there's uh, like apparently this witness is like this altar boy and he speaks with a stammer, but it like it doesn't do anything for the character and it's pretty negative in his portrayal. Yeah. Um, so the portrayal is not sympathetic and doesn't add anything like there's this character could have just as easily not stuttered. Right. Um, because they didn't really delve into why that was significant. Okay, so next is Pearl Harbor, 2001. I haven't seen this one either. I had a girlfriend that made me watch it. Right, I think we had this conversation. (laughs) Uh, Positive? Actually, yes, this Ah. is positive. And I so have no idea how I'm trending. If I'm like, I don't know if you're keeping track. You got four out of five. Oh, so you're, you're okay. I'm, I'm doing pretty yeah. good. Okay. So, um, yeah, there's a character who speaks with a stutter. He's generally he's a good and brave person. He's one of the heroes. He just happens to have a stutter, um, and they don't skate around that. It isn't used for laughs. Um, it's like it's just a character who has a stutter, and it's a fairly realistic portrayal from what I hear. Hmm. All right. So, do the right thing. 1989. Did we see... Sorry. <laughs> I, we, it's on our list, but we haven't seen it yet. So we saw the... <laughs> we saw another... We saw, um, she's well, got to have it. Yeah. And then this one is called... Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Okay. I don't know why... It's another like, Spike Lee joint. Right. Yeah. I know it's like another... It's, But I don't know why Like I get it mixed up. So I'm going to say negative. 
That is correct. Ah. And so there's a minor character that gives a pretty negative portrayal of someone who stutters. It's, from what I understand, just played for laughs, but I haven't mm. seen this, so I can't say for well, sure. we will, eventually. Maybe in 20 years from now, whenever we get through our lesson. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, next up is The Sixth Sense, another M. Night Shyamalan film from 1999. I think so. If I recall, maybe I'm wrong, but wasn't like one of the guys who was like the original. I want to say it's negative. It's like I was on the fence about this. I think it's actually positive because. What, like basically what happens is there's a teacher who's questioning the kid. The kid talks to ghosts and finds out people used to tease this teacher oh, when he was a kid about that, having okay. a stammer. So he calls him the name. Um, and it actually deeply affects this teacher. Like he starts then it resurfaces. He starts struggling again with his stammer. Um, and you see how deeply this affects him. So yes. I'm going to say that's a positive or at least mostly positive portrayal. Right. So yeah. I'm not chumbling two for two, you know. Right. So wow. I, I like wish who would have thought like it, better with split yeah like yeah with people who <laughs> suffer from dissociative identity disorder would have been nice exactly um to have that from him but so yeah you get to stutter right but not disassoci- disassociative yeah identity disorder and last on the list is space jam from 1996 <laughs> negative Yes, negative. Porky Pig is not a good representation yeah, of stuttering. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be like a cartoon character. And that, yeah. Yes, it's Porky Pig, who yeah. I'm sure everybody quotes. Not not everybody. Everybody who's making fun of somebody who yes. stutters quotes them when they're making fun of the person. Exactly. So, yeah, so um, I think you got seven out of eight. Wow. So, pretty good. So, yeah, you owe me a cookie. A beer. Adam, yeah. A cookie and a beer. You could dick the cookie exactly. in the beer. Exactly. That's how cookies are made to be eaten. Yeah. Dipped there in we beer. go. I've got my drink here. I've got um, a lime Lacroix with gin in it. Oh, I have water. All right, <laughs> keeping it real. This is Stephanie and Tux. <laughs> From the podcast Beyond Reproach, a show about political scandals from American history, but it's fun, we swear. The idea behind our show is that politicians and government officials are meant to be public servants, and their behavior should be beyond reproach, but if history has taught us anything, it's that a lot of politicians are total scumbags. So we decided to do a show where we drink period-appropriate historic cocktails while exploring some of the government scandals and shitty politicians of America's past. We are not historians, we're just a couple of drunks who never shut up and love history. We hope you'll join us on Beyond Reproach for some big facts, good laughs, a little bit of swearing, a lot of drinking, and a real good time. America's history is juicy. We just add gin. All right, Brandon. So now that we've uh, played our game, what do you like about this film? Um, I mean, like, this is a positive portrayal and, like, an, a very accurate, like, I learned things about stuttering from watching this movie. Yeah. Um, and so, like, as we'll get into later in the mental health section, stuttering is not a psychological condition. It's not a mental health condition. It's definitely neurological. Um, but, I, like, I think this is kind of upper alley as far as you know what it portrays because stuttering can be a very serious condition and it's often kind of underestimated mm-hmm. um how serious yeah. it can be um and so first of all i just i really liked 
the good portrayal of stuttering and how big a problem it could be for some people. Um, but second of all, this movie took care to get a lot of details right. Um, and I think a big part of that is screenwriter David Seidler um, had a stutter as a child. Mm. And he eventually overcame it. But And he actually um, is... Uh, old enough to remember the actual speech that was given by King oh, George. Wow. Um, so that's old. He, yeah. So I mean, yeah, he is pretty old. I think he was like the oldest best screenplay winner or something like that. Um, but yeah, so he actually heard that, and I'm sure that was you know at least somewhat instrumental in his growing out of this, or I should say, overcoming the stammer as a child. Yeah, it's um, probably what attracted him to write the screenplay or the yeah. play because it wasn't it a play? The movie was originally a play. Was it? Yeah, I don't I know. Say he did a play. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I should look into that. Right. Um, but yeah, apparently uh, they had the script written and they had the film crews in nine weeks before filming. Um, the actual. Lionel, like the therapist, the speech therapist, his grandson found a box of his grandfather's notes, including notes from his sessions with King George. And so he immediately delivered it to the director and screenwriter on the film, and they made some edits to the script based on what they found. Um, And so some of the lines in this film are pulled directly, like, um, after the king gives his speech... Um, Lionel says you still stammered on the W and King George says, well, Mm -hmm. I had to throw in a few as they knew it was me. That's directly from the notes. So that's you know, more that than was likely, cute and funny. Dr- yeah, King it was George cool. Like, yeah, and that that's actually historically accurate. Like that that um, note in there, and um, like some of the other quotes in here are pulled directly. Like when King George's older brother says um, something like, "Oh, deposing a brother from his throne." That's I think he stammers and says positively medieval. Mm-hmm. That's a direct quote from what his brother actually said. Um, I don't know if he had had the stammer, but that is a direct quote. Um, but then also with these notes, they actually gave them to both of the lead actors just to say, this is what you guys are growing into. Like, this is where the film is going. And I, like, I think the the interaction between these two characters was actually pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's, I mean, not, not the most exciting film, but still, like, there were a lot of little things that were done really well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good film. How about you? What did you like? <laughs> so the performances were really great. Like, it was no, like, it wasn't a surprise to me that Colin Firth won uh, Best Actor. Um, mm-hmm. He seemed to do a really good job doing that. They didn't It's a pretty to... complex character, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And I think they didn't try to make, like, the king or Bertie or, you know, Colin Firth's character too sympathetic. He was obviously someone who came from loyalty, who couldn't relate to typical people. And instead mm-hmm. of kind of making him, like, oh, look at how much he knows about that and blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, I, I, like it's he just kind of... flaws. Yeah, yeah, he definitely had flaws. He definitely was uptight. Um, yeah. uh, and, you know, he, he wasn't, wasn't 100% perfect. So I like that. Mm-hmm. And then I think... Like you said in the opening, it was surprisingly entertaining for a film that's about a s- stupid speech, like a whole fucking movie uh-huh. about a stupid speech. <laughs> like, come on. Like, if you think yeah. about it. And I remember last time when we were reading um, the um, description of what the movie and it's just like, yeah, it's just it's basically about a king, king speech. That's speech. the name yep. of the movie. <laughs> like, you know, ooh, but like, I think maybe because it 
really focuses on that one aspect of like Bertie and his stammer and like it's not the entire royal history from when he was like born and then later and all that stuff maybe that's why it was a little bit entertaining but I was in the same boat as you when I first saw it I don't think I was like oh this is the greatest movie like mm-hmm. you know looking at some of the other like that's why I think I looked up the, some of the other um nominees for academy awards i I probably would have chosen differently and probably still i don't know um but i did enjoy it more this time around Mm -hmm. not saying i didn't like it um and uh it was definitely interesting and very well put together technically yeah I like technical standpoint, this was just it did everything right. Yeah. Um it's one of the like uh twelve years a slave is just technically flawless. There were right. a lot of things that were done right. So that's good. And I think that really contributed to the kind of regal feel to this as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 So now that we've talked about what we like, what do you dislike about the film? What do I dislike about the film? I mean, like I said, this is not the most exciting movie. Um, And so, like, it still it moves very slowly. And so I found myself struggling to, like, keep my phone in my pocket and not pull it out and, you know, my phone throughout this movie. And I think a big part of that (laughs) is, like, I'm just not one of those people who's fascinated by royal families. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I I think you're in the same boat because I think we have this conversation on Marie Antoinette. Mm -hmm. Um, But my wife is, like, (laughs) like a huge history nerd when it comes to the royal family. And so she actually like she has some interesting facts. Like you remember oh. that the speech therapist was you know kept saying, "Oh, don't smoke; that'll kill you." Well, it eventually did. He actually did die of lung cancer. Yes, um, I think. <laughs> so, I think when I looked it up, I saw that. I was like, "Yep, uh, makes sense." <laughs> yeah. So um, there there were some cool little things they threw in there, but like honestly, I'm just I, I I think it's just any movie about the royal family. I wouldn't be that big a fan of. Yeah. Um, because I'm not I'm not a fan of those lineages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's or I should say I'm not a fan of just of those lineages. It would have mm-hmm. to be like a story right up my alley on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's kind of the setting and it's like, I you know, I like some British films. I think this film was just a little too British for my liking. <laughs> um, and so yes. it was just, it was very dry um, and slow and methodical. And it's like, if this was an American movie, like, you, you know, they'd be amping up the emotions and the sympathy and everything like that. And I don't know if I'd like that either. Right. Um, but there was just, it was so emotional detached it was a little hard to attach to the characters at times and so that you know there were some times that i thought i was able to emotionally attach to these characters but there were times a lot of times i was wishing there was a bit more of an emotional attachment um here and so may have just been a little too british so that's my take what about you what do you think um, so yeah, the whole British royalty shit um, is my first bullet point here. Same exact you. It's it's hard for me to get into um, these films um, when we're talking mm-hmm. about all of that stuff. I mean, it's just that whole royalty and how you're born into it, and it's just like so. Like Jan, come on, like it's the 21st century or whatever, right? It's the 21st century. Um, I got a little. I was like, wait a minute, is the 21st century? Um, I got. 
<laughs> but um but anyway and then like the duke of york and all all i don't know how that works i don't know how mm-hmm. like where when you get the title of duke of this and this and this but you're also the prince and i don't it gets very lost on me and then uh-huh. i spend the entire movie preoccupied with trying to figure out what things are going on and what the british titles mean right. and i don't know how that fits into it and, and so like you can't marry a divorce bowen but you could sleep with her so right like all those weird yeah. things which then i was like you know while i was watching and i was like yeah but eventually his you know grandson ends up marrying what princess diana and like all that weird stuff so that's interesting Mm -hmm. to think about from that point on in two generations there's going to be all that going on and it's not a big deal but whatever Mm -hmm. Um, i mean it, it was kind of a big deal but you know anyway um and even that like i don't know very much about the princess diana stuff because that didn't really you know American, so it wasn't really in there. I guess she is. I don't know. And I was not old enough, I think, Uh to care. Maybe. Yeah. So, anyway. um, So, that. And then, like, another thing is this, like, just idolization of Shakespeare. Like, I just don't get the whole, (laughs) like, I understand and blah, 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 and whatever. But, like, come on. And, like, everyone, when you have a movie and, you know, Lionel is just so obsessed with Shakespeare. And I was just like, oh, God, yawn. Like, it was such Uh a, it was kind of boring to me. And um, definitely, I thought, was like a capital A actor's film. Like, with all the theater references and Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. um, which goes along with what we were saying earlier are like the 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 writer i think is a playwright so like yeah i mean it's like it yeah, kind of makes sense i can see that you know and so to me not necessarily 100 a bad thing um for like it's but mm-hmm. but just like um i think the heavy handedness on shakespeare was a little off-putting for me but like other than that i mean i don't which we are not the biggest fans of shakespeare yes we are just not the biggest fans of shakespeare (laughs) go listen to our episode on shakespeare in love right like we're not we don't like shakespeare in general and we don't like the movie shakespeare in love so it's like anything about shakespeare so um but yeah i mean not really anything else i think that i can think of that i disliked about it So, so Brandon, um, let's talk about our mental mental health section. What do you what do you have to say about this? Uh, this is a bit of a stretch because, like, I'm actually I'm going to talk about stuttering. I have some things to say on stuttering, but like I said, stuttering is a neurological condition. It is not psychological. It is not a mental health condition. Um, but I, I think this is a good place to talk about that because I, I don't think there are a lot of films that talk a lot about stuttering where a lot of times if there's a stutter in a film, I mean, most of the time it's used as a bad joke. Um, and then if it's not in a mm-hmm. negative light, it's just a side character. And I think the only on our quiz earlier, um, lady in the water is the only, um, movie where the main character had a stutter. Mm. Um, 
And so like, it's just, it's not a popular topic in film. Um, and it's like, uh, later I'm actually going to get into Joe Biden and what he had to say. But one of the things he had to say was stuttering is one of the few, like, learning disabilities or learning conditions that it's still like acceptable to laugh at um, because everybody does. And it's like, yeah. it's just, it's so frequently and severely underestimated what an impact this can have, not only on a person's career path, but also their self-esteem. And so I, I think stuttering can cause some mental health issues. Um, but first, I'm going to go through just some basics of stuttering. So stuttering is um, genetically influenced, and that means that it arises, and there's a lot of things that go into this. And so some of it is genetic, some of it is childhood development, um, and particularly like language and motor skills, mm. and then also just kind of the temperament of the child, which goes back into that genetic. And so stuttering does run in some families. It affects more men than women. And um, more than 3 million Americans, and I think that's adults, have a stutter. Um, so, oh, no, actually, yeah, most of these are young children who grow out of it. So it's 3 million oh. Americans, including children. So most of these are young children who grow out of it. But of the children um, who speak with a stutter, 25% will keep it their entire lives and just okay. struggle with it mm -hmm. their entire lives. Um, and so th this can be a lifelong struggle, even if you are getting professional therapy. Um, and speaking of professional therapy, there's no reliable like research-backed cure for this that works consistently over time and for all people who stutter. You just kind of have to try different things until something works. And so we see this in the film. Lionel is not a doctor. He's just like, I found some things that work and I tried them. And I was like, this is actually fairly accurate um, because there there is no like medically proven cure for speaking with a the stutter. There are just things you could do to help and that differs by person. Um, and so now that said, speech therapists, they use a variety of techniques and most people who speak with the stutter can correct the position, but it is still something they kind of struggle with um, their entire lives. And so I, I actually found um, some stutter myths um, on, I think it was westutter.com, which is uh, an organization basically like a support group for people who stutter. And some of those on the list, I was surprised to see, like there was this myth that if a child is left-handed and you force them to be right-handed to create a stutter. I saw which, that. Uh -huh. I saw Not that true one. at all. Okay. Um, I was going to ask so, that. Okay, good. You're so addressing yeah, my question. Um, and so there, there are some other like kind of weird um, myths about that. So I just focused on the, the bigger ones. And one of them is that people stutter because they're nervous. And that's not the case. Nervousness is not the cause. In fact, usually it's the other way around. Stuttering causes nervousness. Um, but speaking fluently, it's much more likely, yeah, that stutter causes nervousness. Um, another one is people who stutter are shy and self-conscious. Um, again, not necessarily true. I think a lot of people who speak with a stutter um, have some social anxiety, but many people grow to be very effective leaders and very extroverted people. Um, and third, and this is one we see in the film, is people could stop stuttering if they want to. So again, not true. Um, for adults with a stutter, even those who see great success through treatment have to work at it basically their entire lives. And so there are times when they kind of fall back into that. Um, and so for the, you know, people who don't overcome it in childhood and grow to have it their entire lives, this can be a lifelong struggle. And there can be things that trigger that. Like we were talking about like that teacher in the sixth sense where, you know, he was fine until somebody triggered that anxiety from childhood and that brought him right back to where he was. So that said, um, 
this it's not a mental health condition, but I think there's this weird negative synergy between anxiety and speaking with a stutter. Um, and so it goes both ways. So, uh, like, you know, to be clear, speaking with, uh, be, having anxiety does not cause a stutter. Um, in no way does having anxiety cause a stutter. In fact, it's usually that as far as the causal relationship, the other way around speaking with a stutter can cause anxiety, particularly social anxiety. But if you have both, if you have both anxiety and a stutter, the anxiety can definitely make the stutter worse. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so there's this like very negative relationship between anxiety and stuttering. And we see some of these things in the film, like um, King George, whenever he has to speak publicly or have an important conversation, like we see when he tries to have that conversation about marriage to his brother, he like starts stuttering a lot because he realizes there's a lot riding on his words right now. And so he has a lot of anxiety over his ability to have that conversation. And I think that makes the stuttering worse. Um, and we see in Lionel's treatment, one of the first things he does is try to ease King George's social anxiety by using his familiar name, by mm-hmm. getting him to open up about things. And so he tries to ease his anxiety because he knows that's not a complete solution, but that will help. Um, so that's one of the first things he does. And then we also see um, King George's father verbally attacks him for stuttering yeah. and just asks him to stop doing it. Like, yeah, that's, that's going to work. I know. Like, yeah. every single time that happened, I was like, that's not helping. Like, it was so on. mean. Yes, yes that's so <laughs> mean. Just get it out. You just need to get it out. And I'm like, oh, God, no He's wonder. Like verbally attacking him. Yeah. And so, like, I'm having flashbacks to all the people that said, well, have you tried not being depressed? Like, yeah. Right. That's... <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I never thought of that. So, um, there. Yeah, I think this film is a very accurate representation and very sympathetic representation of stuttering. So, I think this Mm -hmm. is a film that gets this portrayal right. Um, But this film, I think, now does have a bit of a a closer to home meaning for me uh, because you know Joe Biden is now our president. Joe Biden has struggled with a stutter his entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had heard that. I actually did look it up and um, that is true. So while he was vice president, he had some talks about it on The View. He wrote several letters to the some sort of American stuttering foundation that's like a support group for people. He wrote several letters um, talking about his experiences and um, words of advice for people. And then, like, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's done an amazing job doing this. Um, But we we see, like, do you remember the first presidential debate with Trump? Like, Mm -hmm. how much of a disaster that was? Oh my god! Um, So actually, President Trump at the time, was instructed by Ted Cruz to constantly talk over Biden to trigger his stutter. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, that that's why that happened. That went down that way is because Trump was intentionally trying to trigger his stutter. Um, and he did in a few points. Like, to be fair, like, right. I, I don't think there's any way to get out of that without being triggered in some way. Um, and then that kind of, re- like, they immediately put out information saying that he was senile. And so, I mean, it was all part of their narrative that he was senile and incompetent right. because of his stutter. Mm-hmm. Um and so this, this is something he still occasionally um, struggles with. And so Biden, I think this was in his interview with The View. It might be in one of his letters. But he said the stutter has nothing to do with your intelligence quotient. It has nothing to do with your inte- intellectual makeup. Stuttering, when you think about it, is the only handicap people still laugh about, that they still humiliate people about, and they don't even mean to. Um, and so like hearing somebody like as as 
accomplished as Joe Biden talking about how he is still humiliated by his stutter. It really gives some some insight into how serious a condition this can be. Uh, but then at the same time, also like he overcame this and is now the president of the United States. Right. And um, what I'm very happy with, thankfully. Um, right. What a nice message. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like Joe Biden is a fucking legend. So, right. yeah. Um, but apparently Joe Biden went to this like small boys prep school that I think was Catholic. Um, and in Latin class, because it was a Catholic mm-hmm. um, school, he actually got the nickname Joe Impedimenta. Oh. I was like, that's awful. Yeah, that is so sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so Joe, Joe Biden actually never had professional therapy. Um, but a few of the nuns at the school actually kind of took him under their wing and taught him to speak with kind of a more controlled cadence mm-hmm. using poetry. And so Joe ah. Biden would actually like read poetry and practice reading poetry in the mirror. And that was really how he overcame his speech impediment, his stutter was by reading poetry. He said specifically Emerson and Yeats, um, but any, any poet with a cadence um, right. and a natural rhythm to their poetry, I'm sure was part of Shakespeare. His, yeah, maybe. Probably. Like, <laughs> Some yeah, of the sorry. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I'll allow yeah, it. He, yeah, he used to practice in front of a mirror to help out this stutter. Um, but then at the same time, Joe Biden, like, th- this is one thing that impressed me with Joe Biden from the start is he has a large level of empathy um, for everyone in America. And so, like, initially when we were first starting to have the conversations about who should be president, I went to um, a watch party for our local Democratic Senate candidate, Sharice Davids, and talked to some of the people there. And the general consensus was Joe Biden was just too old, too white, and too male. Like, he's just too mainstream. Mm-hmm to really get some of these issues of, um, you know, race and gender inequality in America. But I I think he has actually had a lot to say about those, a lot of good things to say about those things. And like, obviously it's not because of his experiences. I think it's because of his empathy. Um, And he has a lot of empathy for people. And I think that has led him to um, take on some, some pretty great stances on race and gender. Um, And so, yeah, I, I think he actually, let me see if I can find this in my notes. He described it as kind of God's gift to him, even though it was something he had to overcome because it gave him that empathy for other people. Um, and so he actually had a lovely letter where he shared some advice with people struggling with a stutter on, on how to overcome that and how to find success in life. And so those, you know, the letters online somewhere you could read that, but it's, it's just kind of cool that like we have someone with that condition and it's a condition that like, as we see in this movie, the King's speech can really interfere with the career in politics. And now we have an American politician, major politician mm-hmm. who struggles with this issue. And so I, I thought that was a cool connection. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. I think it's also pretty cool. Um, so that you mentioned, you know, his experiences and um, with poetry. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you saw the inauguration, but Amanda Gorman um, read her poem. She's mm-hmm. the poet laureate. Poet laureate, for, yeah, like, yeah. Um, the hill we climb at Biden's inauguration. Well, she also has a speech impediment. She has issues wow. saying her R's. Plus, she has uh-huh. an auditory processing processing disorder. And like she's very vocal about this. And I thought it's interesting. Like she also thinks thought of her issues as something to overcome and a strength that helped her become a better uh-huh. reader and a better writer. And so I think 
that just makes perfect sense with what you just said about Biden and um, practicing right. poetry. And she's a poet and so and a writer. So I thought I thought that was really interesting. Um, not sure how aware Biden was of her speech impediment, but um, but I think I'm sure he had something right. to well, do I mean, with that. Jill Biden. Yeah. I read Jill Biden was the one who. Um, like suggested her. So yeah. I don't, you know, pro- mm-hmm. probably, probably, probably had, I mean, you know, just kind of cool to think about it. And so, um, like one of the things that she has a problem with was saying her R's. And I actually had that speech problem when I was younger. And so I was put into speech therapy mm-hmm. when I moved from New York City to Orlando, Florida. I mm-hmm. was four. My brother was eight. And I think we both were put into speech therapy. And I think part of it was that we had a New York accent and we moved to Florida and they just assume uh-huh. that like, you know, little people who talk like this and Hey, I'm from New York. How you, how you doing? And naturally we don't say our R's right. And so blah, 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 blah. To some extent it's true though. I couldn't say, I couldn't say my R's. Um, but like it also, you know, when you think about that, like I wasn't sure how much that related to a stutter, like not saying your R. I don't, I don't know because what is the correct pronunciation when we live in a global world full of accents and people mm-hmm. who speak multiple languages? Like that's, it's just kind of fun and and interesting to think about how. I perhaps was trying to try to be conditioned from a very young age to not sound like I was from New York because I was in a hmm. place called Florida. They didn't put me in speech in New York or my brother, like, you know, so I don't uh, know. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I thought it was kind of fun that I not fun, but that I related to Amanda Gorman when she did. She read her poem because I also cool. struggled with that issue when I was younger and it was mm-hmm. lots of speech therapy. Now, when you're looking about like speech impediments, did you see like what the different types are and like maybe what the more common ones are like a stutter, lisps are speech, Mm -hmm. I guess, would consider a speech impediment? Did you see any statistics? That's an excellent question. And no, I did not look those up. Literally, all I looked into was stuttering. But I mean, the negative things I mentioned about stuttering, I'm sure are also present. Like if somebody speaks with with a lisp, like people still make fun of that. People still mock that. And people still make assumptions based on, you know, based on that about Mm -hmm. how intelligent this person is, how competent this person is. Um, So a lot of the negative things apply to, I'm sure, a lot of other speech impediments. Right. And and, And these aren't, and like you were saying, and one of my questions that I had written down in case you didn't cover it, which you obviously <laughs> did, was what causes speech impediments? Because I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. From the movie, it wasn't very clear because Lionel, one of the first things he talks to him, he says, like, what's your earliest memory and recollection? And it's mm-hmm. not just really about biology, but also that part. So I but now, you know, I think when you were talking about that and now looking back at the movie, but first of all, obviously not a bunch of research was done like back then anyway, but um, mm-hmm. But like, it was more like maybe he was putting him at ease and trying to be familiar. So like, okay, like now it kind of it kind of makes sense. But I also was wondering, Brandon, what is your earliest memory? <laughs> Do you? Oh gosh, my earliest memory. Um, it was probably like my sister's like two and a half years younger than me, um, and I remember when they first brought her home. Um, from ah, the, okay. Um, the, so you're like four. Whatever the part of the hospital is where they take care of little tiny babies. Mm-hmm. You can tell I've never had a baby. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> whatever the part of the hospital is, they take care of Me, little tiny babies. I don't babies. know. The yeah. baby place? <laughs> the baby hospital place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when they brought my sister home, I, I do remember that. And that's one of the earliest memories I have. Um, 
And so I would have been like two and a half, but I do remember that pretty clearly. So what about you? Hmm. Um, so I, yeah. So like that instantly when he was asking that, I was like, Ooh, like what is my earliest memory? And I think I can't tell there are three just memories that I have from when I was like three or two or three, we moved from Staten Island, New York to upstate New York, just for a little bit. We lived on a lake and I remember my dad gutting a fish like I, on the lake. So I think maybe that was, was mm-hmm. maybe my first memory. He kind of showing me how to do it. Um, but I also mm-hmm. remember drowning and swimming in the lake because I did drown. I did drown myself in the lake when I was like three. I loved oh. the water, and I knew that if I could just force myself and drown myself, I could figure out how to swim. So whenever we were in water, uh-huh. I would just jump in the water. And my mom, she can't swim, um, so it used to. She's like, you know, she would have heart attacks, you know, because I didn't know how to swim. Somebody actually went in and saved me, apparently. So I do mm-hmm. remember. I don't remember the saving. But I actually weirdly remember feeling compelled to go to the water and just jumping in the water because of a compelled, compelled. I was compelled. I felt like I had to. It's wow. very weird, isn't that weird? Anyway, that's my first. It's those are my first memories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, what do, what do you think this has to say about mental health? So, what I was thinking, and so I know that you know. I, so, there's a movie about movies maladies and mental health and so i was thinking of this more in the terms of maladies right i guess maybe this Mm -hmm. would be a melody um and i really wanted to examine illness like mental illness and just regular health issues that are like shrouded in secrecy by royalty and people in power Mm -hmm. and what that means for us ordinary folks you know who suffer from ailments and so i think it's a common thing for people in power, like we see in this movie um, and throughout history that, you know, if you're weak and you suffer from any illness and you're like the mm-hmm. president or the king, you don't really show that, right? Like that's a weakness. And so like, I think the most famous American example is FDR. You know, he was in a wheelchair and not mm-hmm. many people really knew that he wasn't, he made sure that he was never photographed. Um, he learned how to kind of like stand up so that it didn't, you know, it didn't seem like that because, you know, having some kind of, you know, malady or illness or, you know, would seem weak. And I know during the film, Mm -hmm. like they mentioned Mad King George as well, which is, you know, I know some of the royalty history with that. And so when I was looking it up, Mad King George, which is the, which is the Mad King George from, I think the American revolution. I think, I think Hmm. that's when, that when he was, uh, when he was King, they they were actually thinking that maybe now he had a blood disorder, but then also bipolar. So they have no idea. So I just (laughs) want to let you know, that's what Mad King George is bipolar. All I know about that King George is from what I saw in Hamilton. So not much. Right. Yeah. 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 And I haven't seen Hamilton, but I know he's in it. (laughs) Um, but Bertie or Bertie or King George, I call him Bertie because I like that name Bertie. Um, he keeps his speech therapy kind of like a secret. You know how, you know, when mm-hmm. she first comes, it's very much they're not royalties, like really not allowed. Like it's a shameful thing. And I think that this notion of weakness and illness being shameful really permeates everywhere and it's becomes toxic. And then that's how we get the stigma. And so like and we learn from the movie that he has several things that they have kind of forced him to have, which 
is not 100% sure, like, for example, being left-handed and forced to write with the right. Mm. Like, that was something mm. that happened. I think up until, I think it was around the 1970s when they stopped forcing <laughs> people to be right-handed, which is, like, ridiculous if you think about it. Um, uh-huh. You know, he also had a younger brother who died in childhood who seemed like, you know, mm. I looked it up and he had su- suffered from epilepsy and, and maybe some learning disorders or something. And that wasn't really something that they, you know, that a lot of people knew. And I think they hit it. So really, I think when we're talking about, like, is this an accurate portrayal of how people handle, like, maladies and health issues? I think it's accurate because it seems like, I think so. you know, yeah. it's perceived as the weakness and it's and it's hidden. But really, when we do that, I think we increase the stigma, right? I mean, I think it goes without saying that if something isn't represented or if something's not represented or talked about in media or by people in power, for the most part, it's not inclusive. Mm-hmm. And people who have these issues start to feel very alone. Um, they're reluctant to share their issues. They don't want to seen, be seen as a weakness. It's great right now that we have, you know, Joe Biden, who's very outspoken. He's a president and he's out. I mean, that is a big leap from, you know, FDR. I mean, just being be open seen. at all yes. about this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's probably way more people who have the issues than not, but because it's, you know, underrepresented. When do you think we would see like a, a president or even a senator with bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder? I know. I don't. I yeah. I like probably not in our lifetimes. Probably not in our lifetime. I, I'm and I'm starting to unfortunately lose hope that we're going to see a female president. But um, un- anyway, um, uh-huh. <laughs> but um, but another thing I think that this does is like when we're thinking about health insurance and who should mm-hmm. have be insured. I know, um, I think it was like when Trump, I don't know if it was when he first became president. I don't know. There was some, I, I think it was, there was some talk about what are they going to do if they get rid of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And one of the things that they were talking about was bringing back those high risk insurance pools, which are awful if you've mm-hmm. read about them. So this a high risk insurance pool is if you have that type of insurance and you're deemed like as high risk, then you'll pay anywhere from like 125 to 200% more in premiums for insurance than otherwise, quote unquote, healthy people. What's the problem with this? Who is deemed to be high risk and who's not? And, you know, it made me feel personally almost attacked went back then because during that time I was either going through my second brain surgery or about to go through it or right after my brain surgery. And I was 37 years old, healthy. I'm a runner. And here I am. I hear the president of the United States talking about how I should be expected to pay an outrageous amount for my insurance because I had a tumor that I could not help whatsoever. I didn't, you know, it's not, it's like Mm -hmm. they talk about it as like, well, those people are in an unhealthy lifestyle. So they have to pay more like it's a punishment. And so um, Mm -hmm. even if, that is your lifestyle. I mean, like, it's just this whole stigma around illness and, you know, who deserves health care and who mm-hmm. is powerful versus weak, I think is definitely I think it plays into um, plays into it when you're not representing people, real people who have issues. And when a lot of people are against like health care for all, I mean, 
some of it could be helped by if there were more people around to talk about the issues that they've been through. And I think this is why we have mm-hmm. this podcast. So why I have this podcast. So <laughs> talk more about these issues. Exactly. And so, like, I mean, I've never had a tumor, but I would guess I'm in a high risk category as well, just because I have bipolar disorder. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, for those who don't know, like Facebook actually like, and this is a little over a year ago at this point, started uh, building medical profiles on all of its users based on your posts and the things you like ah. and the websites you visit. And so that's why I left Facebook about a year ago is I have a, a condition that could be a, you know, viewed as a high risk condition. It is yeah. a very stigmatized um, condition. And Facebook now has my entire post history, numerous websites I've visited, things I've liked, um, yeah. people I've interacted with. I had my whole album on brain surgery and I had like little pictures of my tumor and I named mm-hmm. him Louie and like stuff. <laughs> And so it's illegal to share medical information, but anything you share on Facebook, any of this information I just talked about is not medical information. Um, and so Facebook can put you in a category of, you know, you know, suspected high risk, suspected suicide risk, suspected, um, you know, tumor risk, stuff like that. They could sell this to, you know, insurance companies. They could sell yeah. this to employers. Um, and so this is not protected information. Um, and so I haven't gone as far as to delete my Facebook account, which I need to because this is just an awful practice. Yeah. But if you are on Facebook, know that Facebook has a medical profile on you and they have assumed a lot of things about you and they make that available to advertisers and they may make it available to many other people as well. What's our next film? Yeah. So, um, first of all, before we get into our next film, I'd like to say, so for those of the viewers out there or <laughs> listeners out there, this is the first time Brandon and I are doing this podcast when we're looking at each other. So we have a video up. I just want to let everyone know that I think it's going well. Um, I see this cute little cat in the background um, that's sleeping. I just want to curl up with it. But anyway, um, I just thought that the, I just wanted to point out that I think it's going well. So I am going to now pick our next um, and I want to position it so where I can see you because I want to see your reaction. So um, I have chosen the 1994 film Serial Mom. Have you seen this film? <laughs> I have not seen this I film. Is this, this one of your film. picks? This is definitely <laughs> one of my picks. It is a John Waters film. One of my favorite movies. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, so, but spoilers, I, I love this movie. Um, so, I, for those of you who have never... Have you seen any John Waters films, Brandon? I What are some of the... I can't even think of his films. What are his so, other films? And I must have put a bunch um, on there. Um, so there's Hairspray is the, is the main one that probably everyone knows about. So Hairspray. Um, uh, uh, oh, my God. Why am I, like, drawing a blank here? Um, John Waters. Sorry. I, oh, this guy. I just looked him up. Yeah. Um, there's another one. He's an that actor? I, hmm? 
He does acting too, right? Yeah, like he'll appear in his films okay. and, and and things so like Pink that. But Flamingos. he's mostly a director. Yeah, Pink Flamingo. Yes. So there's really raunchy. So he's known for very raunchy <laughs> films back, I would say, in the 70s uh, and early 80s. And then he did, you know, Serial Mom. And he also did Pecker. Uh-huh. Um, Which Pe- is also on our list. Yeah, well, because of me, probably. and <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, and may have had... A hand in, but I'm a cheerleader, which also might be on our list. Hmm. So, um, anyway, yes, yeah. um, some of my favorite films, some of my favorite. So, I, I just, I loved John Waters. So, um, and very, it's and yet again another reason why I like it is because I, I learned it from my brother. So, having an older brother who loved, um, like Divine and a Hairspray and, and and things like that, um, made made me really. It, this just rubbed off on me. So I'm going to read hmm. the um, description for Serial Mom. Okay. Happy housewife Beverly Setfin has a charmed life, a beautiful suburban home, a successful dentist husband, and two normal teenagers. However, when one of her son's teachers speaks disparagingly of the boy at a parent-teacher conference, Bev runs the instructor over in the parking lot. Suddenly, she has an insatiable taste for murder. Six homicides later, and the cops get wise to her crimes. So it's about a serial killer mom. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just funny and over the top. And um, um, this actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify Serial Mom as like a, a raunchy film for John Waters, but it's probably mm-hmm. going to be raunchier than you're used to. So I just want to <laughs> let you know. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> it, it was really funny. Um, a friend at work, um, she loves this film and she's like, oh, you know, I'm going to, and I don't think she had seen it in a long time. And so she decided to watch it like with her younger daughter one time, not realizing that it's probably not something you <laughs> watch with somebody who's under like 14, which I think she wants. Okay. So. Anyway, um, your son is old enough, though, probably can watch it. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's what we're going to watch next time. Serial Mom 1994 dark comedy. So now that we know that we're gonna, what we're going to do, would you like to take us away? Take us away. All right. So we are Peculiar Picture Show, a podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. Um, you can find us online at peculiarpicture.show. That is our website. You can stream all episodes there. We've got links to our social media profiles, including Facebook, which we just talked about. But um, so, yeah, so we've got that. We've got um, a press kit. We've got some additional information on there. Um, additionally, I write my own movie reviews at brandontalksmovies.com. And you can find some of my mental health writing at monsteronmyback.pub. So, so that's what we got and we'll see you next time see you next time